0: Welcome to dissecting philosophy with Dr. McDonald. In this episode, we'll be having a discussion of Friedrich Nietzsche's concepts of the Apollonian and the Dionysian. So we're gonna have a couple of nice weeks touching upon Nietzsche before getting started into a new topic, a new book, which is Guy de Society of the spectacle and for those people that enjoyed the interviews with frank Rudder, they will be continuing at some point in the near future frank's just busy sorting out his manuscripts and so forth but will no doubt get stuck back into a nice discussion with frank whenever he manages to get a chance to come back on the podcast and have a good old talk and blather as we like to say here in the uk have a nice good old blather so today's episode then getting stuck into the nietzschean concepts of the apollonian and dionysian from his book the birth of tragedy so we'll be looking at those two key concepts first dealing with the apollonian and then looking at the dionysian and rounding off with a nice discussion into Greek drama as well as into contemporary films as well. What would exactly the Apollonian and Dionysian look like in a contemporary setting? So, first thing before we get started into the Apollonian and Dionysian as concepts, best thing to do is well as give us a nice brief little overview of Nietzsche. So, Nietzsche's historical context in he was born in 1844 and he died just at the start of the 20th century at 1900. He was a professor of philology, which is the study of language in written sources at Basel University, and unfortunately he had to leave his position due to medical problems, and he spent the rest of his life moving, supported by his university pension, going between southern France, northern Italy, and Switzerland. And one of the key things about Nietzsche's biology is incredibly influenced by the philosophy of Arthur Schopenhauer. And Schopenhauer's philosophy has a big concept in it called the will. And this is spelt with a capital W. So big W I L L. And what exactly does that mean? it's a philosophy that argues for the importance of the body and its drives which is ultimately called the will all this bodily drive that we have within us we'd almost equate it with our instinctual drive in contemporary context and how these drives influence our actions and that's one of the things that nietzsche finds so interesting is this concept of the will that's within schopenhauer's philosophy easily enough little background information then so now let's get into it and let's get into all the nice juicy meatiness of these concepts of the apollonian and dionysian so first touched upon the concept of the apollonian and where exactly does that come from the greek god apollo as you might suspect and then what exactly is important about the Greek god Apollo is that Apollo is god of the sun as well as having other qualities about him god of truth god of prophecy and healing as well as the fact that the Apollonian is the artistic representation of the world and that the world is given a structure by the individual's mind and its ideas therefore so here we have some interesting things about this whole concept of the Apollonian to start with we have a relation directly into truth reason as well as healing and healing is going to be important when it touches upon the dionysian why because it counteracts all the massively chaotic and destructive forces of the dionysian it acts as a counter to it so therefore we come into the next point about the artistic representation it is given structure by mind and ideas and so if we take that and put it into a artistic example let's say let's look firstly at the Michelangelo's David it's absolutely easy peasy for us to see well well how exactly do you get the Apollonian in such a thing like Michelangelo's David how do you exactly get the Apollonian through sculpture is another way of putting it. And this is a really easy, fantastic point to put. So you have, of course, the idea in your mind. In this case, Michelangelo's David of a man. And how exactly is Michelangelo going to achieve that? He's going to chisel away at the marble. And ultimately, with the posh way of putting it, he actualizes the idea down. And you could use this, as you can see, in various different aspects of creativity and art because you take it into painting for instance, somebody can either literally be there on a landscape or work from a painting, whichever it is, or even from memory. But the whole aspect is transposing and transpositions always from our mind and giving structure and framework to the world and how we see it and how we think of it then we can look at technology why why look at technology because that's another apollonian way of looking at things is that you don't simply just have a phone or a tablet why not because there are ideas ultimately that had to be transposed and written down on blueprints and so forth and therefore it's the way of people transposing their mind and therefore what you get is the idea in your hand same thing for bottled waters and so forth it all has to start as somebody's mind and actualizing that process so the key thing then for the apollonian is the way in which it gives the world structure and organization and here you can see it works so much against the idea of chaos and destruction because it's an orderly and putting things in place basically and structuring things rather than being destructive it's constructive so let's move on from this and take a good look at exactly what makes up apollonian art we've got a nice big chunky quote from the birth of tragedy so let's read it apolline art is that of the image maker or sculptor Every human being is fully an artist when creating the worlds of dream and the lovely semblance of dream is the precondition of of all the arts of image making including as we shall see an important half of poetry. A person with artistic sensibility relates to the reality of dream in the same way as artistic sensibility relates to the reality of dream in the same way as a philosopher relates to the reality of existence. He attends to it closely and with pleasure, using these images to interpret life and practicing for life with help of these events. Not that it is only the pleasant and friendly images that gives him this feeling of complete intelligibility, he also sees passing before him things which are grave, gloomy, sad dark sudden blocks teasings of chance anxious expectations so from this then you can ask the question well what exactly does the apollonian art do why exactly is it therapeutic because going back into that quote not not only is it the pleasant and friendly images he also sees passing before him things which are grave gloomy dark sad sudden blocks teasings of chance anxious expectations is life basically just full of happiness all the time no no why because we precisely have all those moments that are grave gloomy sad dark and so forth what happens when people create and therefore produce something out of being anxious or being sad and so forth what can be do about it is work through it and what happens when we work through these things People can produce fantastic books. People can produce fantastic artworks and so forth. It's all that means of creativity and expression gives order and meaning to precisely our suffering that's gone on. And hence why we see there's that immense level back into the healing aspect of it as well because it allows people to deal with things in a very therapeutic way and overcome them. Or at least enable them to start to work towards the process of overcoming the sad gloomy things and so forth in life. So just because it's Apollonian doesn't mean to say therefore it's just simply this absolute pristine... Otherworldly, almost divine, let's say. That would be a wrong way to think about the Apollonian. It's not something to be held upon an immense pedestal above everything else. No, it's something that's very much therapeutic, helps and, and makes us engage with the world and all the suffering that goes on and so forth. And through our own creativity, we start to have this incredible amount of therapy and therapeutic engagement with the world that's what the apollonian enables us to do so let's move now from the apollonian and let's go to its opposite which is the dionysian which of course then we just say well what is the dionysian where does that come from easy enough answer again comes from the greek god of dionysus god of wine and fertility and there's quite a funny story i remember my classics teacher telling me from school as well that people used to get drunk and the reply back to the people who caught them being drunk and so forth let's say if it was ancient greek police or whatever the equivalent of that would be suddenly says to someone excuse me wait a minute you appear to be drunk then the person replies back, "Aha, I was only worshipping Dionysus and then the police officer would be like, "Okay, fair enough, good for good for you for worshipping Dionysus there and so you people get let off the hook all the time by being completely inebriated and completely drunk out of their skulls, as you would say, and out of their minds as well as God of fertility, and then of course you go into big massive orgies and so forth like that that romans used to have and all the bouts of things it said and done in the name of dionysus god of wine and god of making babies so <laughs> what's well, one of the key things as well other than god of wine and that and fertility is that we have a quote here the dionysian springs from nature itself without the mediation of the human artist so here we have an immediate connection into it the apollonian is the mind giving the world structure perfect what is the dionysian the dionysian springs from nature itself without the mediation of the human artist. so what is nature like if we suddenly removed that mediation that whole process of the artist picture in the world what does the world then look like is that it's something that's unstructured and in continual flux continual change continual transformation easy enough answer to say to that as well is why is it in continual flux because we can see flux happening all the time through just the changing of seasons from spring into summer from summer into autumn from autumn into winter and then back into spring and so on it's something that we can all very much experience change is something that's always ongoing always a part of the world that we can experience so therefore things become a bit more disordered is a nice way of putting it away from the ordered nature in which human mind mediates the world and gives its structure then the world without that becomes disorderly unstructured becomes part of the flux and transformation and change So, we have another great quote from The Birth of Tragedy dealing with the Dionysian. And precisely this says, A Dionysian phenomenon shows us the spirit that playfully builds and destroys the world of individuals. Similarly, Heraclitus compares the force that builds worlds to a child, building sandcastles and knocking them down again so here we have a key point and even a key point just philosophically here as well so the Dionysian is something that playfully builds and destroys the world of individuals what does that mean do we ever have knowledge that's concrete sure is the reply back to that it's what we want to immediately say sure we do in certain time periods we have structures we have methods we can teach people all wonderful fantastic things of course we do and we get educated in all these various different things and then comes in the crux to say well what happens to knowledge over time is that it changes and how we think changes over time and so here's a key thing that immediately we can see that's a distinction between traditional philosophy and immediately what Nietzsche is saying is that traditionally within philosophy there's always a move towards building structures that try to last forever and Plato tries to do that, Aristotle tries to do that, and Descartes, and so forth. There's tons of people who try to build structures in philosophy that are going to try to stand the test of time, is a nice way of putting it. Here, you have the Dionysian, and the Dionysian is something that destroys these structures. Why? Because knowledge is never something that's eternal, everlasting, and always the same. Why not? Because precisely knowledge changes, it transforms. What we think at one given time period will be different from another time period, and so on. You only need to have a look into brief histories of medicine or whatever it would be, even mathematics itself, to see that there is change that occurs even within maths. From Euclidean geometry to non Euclidean geometry would be a nice example of that for how the mathematic truths work. So, here we have a different way of doing things already. But also here you can see where our criticism might occur. The Dionysian is something that's destructive and if it's completely something that's destructive and playful, it's childlike so a criticism of this could immediately come in to say well you don't end up with anything whatsoever there is no positive that comes out of this so you can see how a reply back to this would be if you solely had the dionysian it's not worth anything whatsoever because what we should just stick to is the structures of the human mind But here, Nietzsche is emphasizing the importance of history itself and the way in which the way we think is always limited to our specific historical epochs. And, And another way of putting it is knowledge is never something that's untimely, which is to say eternal, but rather knowledge is always something that's timely, that's based upon where you are in the world and where you are in the world socially culturally is going to then affect how you think so if the apollonian style of art is the one in which the artist gives structure and order to the world and is therapeutic because it helps us to overcome various different issues mental health issues and so forth that we might be undergoing what exactly is dionysian art and so here we come into an interesting part from a short essay that, that nietzsche wrote called the dionysian view of the world let's delve into this a little bit more as he says a dionysian artist no longer creates work but is themselves a work of art Let's delve into this more. Man is no longer an artist. He has become a work of art. Art reveals itself here. A nobler clay. A more precious marble is needed and chiseled here. The human being. This human being whom the artist Dionysus has formed stands in the same relation to nature as a statue does to the Apollonian artist so then we come into the whole point about it then how might our worldly influences on our experience shape who we are which then builds upon our points that we've been saying is that all based upon our own specific time period and where we are and socially as well as culturally all those various different things have a have an immense amount of influence on creating us as a human being all these various different forces at work and so a nice way of putting it as well is: well if we just think about ourselves are we always the same person over time would our ideas and our self-identity be in a state of continual change or or would it always be in that continual flux and the answer of course to that is the continual flux why because at one given time period we think we know exactly who we are let's say from our own personal experience very much was a goth, as you might as you would say, when I was 16, and then you think to yourself, That is exactly how you're going to live your life, and so forth black makeup and black hair, and all that. But no, why? Because your thoughts change, who you are changes, and therefore you will you look back into think to yourself, Oh, god why did i do that because you're not the same person as you are now as you was then is another way of putting it as well and so what's another way we can put all this is how all these different forces of where we are socially culturally and so forth all shape and mold us into who we are and then who we are is itself is an idea is never clearly quite set is always adapting and changing to various different things we are the clay that's been molded as nietzsche would say that's what the ultimately the quote is saying we are being molded here rather than us doing the molding and creating the artwork we're being molded like art ourselves so let's move from this discussion into a discussion of a greek drama or better way to put it is greek tragedy because there only existed either tragedy or comedy and so let's have a look at Sophocles' antigone which was first performed in 442 bc because this will allow us to see how exactly the Apollonian and Dionysian function in a play setting. So let's have a little brief going over of the plot of Antigone. And don't worry it's only going to be a very brief synopsis. And focusing on the key bits as well. Which is going to all to do with the king who is called Creon. So antigone disobeys the king's rule to bury her brother because he was on the rebel forces creon orders for antigone to be buried alive in a cave and then he receives word from a prophet that the gods are displeased and the whole of greece will hate him if he follows through with his decision with this warning he changes his decision but it's too late antigone committed suicide along with her son her fiance and his wife upon hearing the news so the key crux part of what we want to focus on for antigone then is all to do with that and exactly how creon then reacts to her death as well as the death of everybody else that's involved so this is what creon then says i'm going to focus on these key lines lead me away a rash a misguided man whose blindness has killed a wife and a son oh where can i look what strength can i find on me a doom greater than i can bear and then the chorus says of happiness far the greatest part is wisdom and reverence towards the gods proud words of the arrogant man in the end meet punishment great as his pride was great till at least he is schooled in wisdom so we then have creon say what have i done ultimately i'm a misguided man my misguided ways has ultimately killed a wife and a son where can i look what strength can i find i've brought all this upon myself ultimately through my actions so this is the key whole thing to antigone that we want to focus on what benefit has creon's emotional that is dionysian experience affected how he thought of the law which is ultimately apollonian so another way of putting it is what benefit has creon's dionysian experience affected how he thought of the apollonian or what benefit his creon's emotional experience affected how he thought of of the law itself so key thing to all this is well when you have this whole in a feudalistic style system or at least one in which you have a monarchy you have the king in such a situation that their word is the law and therefore everybody else follows exactly what they say down to a t as what we had with antigone but then you don't really expect the person to go back on their word and what they're meant to be said of course is meant to be good for everybody so therefore by antigone going against his word he's ultimately going against the law and therefore she has to meet some form of punishment for that so here we have then him also have a moment of reflection and go oh wait a minute i've actually done something wrong so then we have the experience of the emotional side of us having that immense benefit to our through our reasoning and our rational side the apollonian side of things because it's allowing him to change his mind in a very positive beneficial way and that ultimately allows us to have a nice positive moment of critical reflection emotion can allow us to critically reflect in a positive way then reflects upon the law in this given instance in realizing what he did and those orders he gave were wrong and therefore he can see the error of his ways is a nice way of putting it that what he actually commanded was wrong because of that emotional critical reflection on what he did why is all this important is because the emotional side of things is always seemed to be ineffective is a nice way of putting it that so much is placed upon reason and the rational that ultimately at least within traditional philosophy let's say plato that you then have all this diminishing effect of exactly your emotional side of things So everything is placed upon this immense weight of just the Apollonian or rational side of it. And that's what Nietzsche ultimately finds is problematical. And what we'll delve into more for the next lecture on the Apollonian and Dionysian is what happens in this given case. What happens when you would try to strip the Dionysian away and just solely have the Apollonian by itself because here's a key important point Nietzsche sees the benefit of them working together with the Apollonian and Dionysian they have this immense beneficial effect but what does Plato do along with Socrates is that the just stripping away of the dionysian and all what we're left is just the apollonian what would that look like we'll leave that for next week's episode but for now we have all this positive benefit into our emotions and emotion allowing us to have a positive critical reflection or action and therefore we realize oh my god what have i done ultimately So let's take it from Antigone and Sophocles' Antigone into contemporary films. And it's such an easy example to see as well, is that when you have the Apollonian and the Dionysian, what are they represented for in contemporary films is through the buddy films. And there's so many different kind of buddy movies that's there. You always have the one character that does everything by the book. And there's always that other character that tries to sort of act of their own way, be kind of slightly edgy as a character and so on. So let's go through some examples then. And the first one that comes to mind might shock some people when they initially hear it, but we'll explain each example, of course, when we use it. So the first example is Shrek and Donkey from the movie Shrek from 2001 why is this the case because Shrek ultimately is the Apollonian one all what he wants to do is simply live in his swamp and the whole movie for Shrek is about him just trying to get the rights from Lord Farquaad who is the aristocrat in charge the deeds to his swamp so he can go and live there and donkey is the one that's the one that tries to lead him astray because he's the one that has to make him go and do things that he doesn't want to do and try new things as donkey says who doesn't love a parfait i don't know anybody that doesn't love a parfait so we have the apollonian for Shrek, we have the dionysian for donkey another one is from the movie blade runner from 1982 with harrison ford Decard, who is Harrison Ford's character is the Dionysian one and Rachel who is the robot is the Apollonian one and interestingly enough within that film we can see exactly why a robot would be Apollonian why because it's precisely it's doing it in a rational way completely structured and so on it's all Part of the programming, but here you have Descartes ultimately be the Dionysian one. What is the Dionysian doing? Showing Rachel the robot what is it is exactly like to be human and have human emotions and all the factors that can't be put down into programming whatsoever. The last example that I want to use as well is from Shaun of the Dead 2004 starring Simon Pegg and Nick Frost as Shaun and Ed which is an absolutely fantastic British comedy horror movie and in that we have Shaun is a character Simon Pegg's character And what does he ultimately want to do is spend his whole life doing exactly the same job and ultimately going down to the local pub or, as we might say if we're in America, local bar, along with his friend Ed, played by Nick Frost. And that's pretty much how he amounts to in life so therefore you can see how sean's the apollonian one doing everything in a very structured way then ed is precisely the dionysian one because he is the one that tries to lead him astray all the time and so those are some fun examples in which you have shrek blade runner as well as Shaun of the dead and feel free to drop me an email at the address at dissecting philosophy at for any more apollonian dionysian buddy style movies that you could think of that'd be great to get people's reflections on exactly what they think would be great because no doubt as soon as i say aha Buddy films, give me some good Apollonian Dionysian out of them. No doubt people have just immediately went, ah, oh, I know. And of course, there's the movie in of itself, the original sort of buddy movie for the odd couple, which is from 1968, starring Jack Lemon and Water Matthau. So fantastic examples that we can use and clearly see the Apollonian and Dionysian at work. So then, let's round off and conclude to say, what is the Apollonian and Dionysian? The Apollonian is the structure applied to the world through our ideas. The Dionysian is the influence of the world in shaping our ideas. What is the benefit of their relationship? In the Apollonian influence, the unstructured and chaotic Dionysian individual becomes more structured and disciplined. Through the Dionysian influence, the structured Apollonian individual challenges their ideas and reevaluates their view of the world. Fantastic. So, as we said for the next episode, for this as well, we're going to take away the dionysian influence and focus solely upon the apollonian and that's going to be all done next time for how exactly and what influence does plato play in this for nietzsche So in the meantime, feel free to drop me an email at my address at at dissectingphilosophy.gmail.com tipmecoffee.coffee.com forward slash dissectingphilosophy ko-fi.com forward slash dissectingphilosophy Check out the Patreon page where there's currently an ongoing discussion of Slavoj Zizek Pandemic 2 Chronicles of Time Lost as well as the full discussion of Pandemic 1 on there. And lastly, I can be found on Twitter at IamARubberMan. Many thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join me next time.